and amen. Um, does prayer change anything? Does prayer actually work? Well, maybe you've been like me, maybe you've prayed, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've, the number of prayers that you've prayed are probably uh, as many hairs are on your head. But how have you responded to those prayers? How have those prayers been responded to? As you pray, do you feel an overwhelming sense of disconnect from the God that you are offering these prayers up to? Do you feel like there are moments as you begin to pray that you question, why am I even doing this? Or maybe you've become casual in your prayer. That as you prayed, you've prayed so many different times that you find yourself just offering it up. You're walking down the street and because you're accustomed to prayer, you, Lord, help me, walk with me, be with me, and it's just a casual prayer that you continue on in. It's not a prayer of intention. It's not a prayer of, of great effort. As we've been walking through this series in Elijah, we've been looking at the life that Elijah has led with the hopes of being able to use him as a model for what it means to be a person of faith, for what it means to be a person who trusts God. No, we've seen Elijah do some pretty miraculous things We've seen him uh, uh, step into some pretty miraculous moments. We've also seen, seen one particular thing modeled time and time again in Elijah's life, and that Elijah is a man of prayer. Just a few verses ago, we saw Elijah pray over a, a dead little boy, and that little boy came to life. We also saw Elijah in his own desperation pray to the Lord, and the Lord made a provision for him. We saw Elijah pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would show up and prove that he is the one true living God. And God showed up in a spectacular way. And here we are again after the moment, after Elijah had prophesied that there would be no more rain until his word, until he came, until he said and now we're at the end of that, that after the people have now begun to worship him, the people cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What they were saying actually is they were calling Yahweh, Yahweh, he is God. They were making this shift from who they were previously worshiping in Baal to now they are worshiping Yahweh. Their hearts have become correct. And as their hearts have become correct, God is stepping into this moment and he's honoring what he had previously said, that he would restore the rain. But Elijah begins to go and he begins to, to worship the Lord and pray to the Lord that it would rain. And we see Elijah go through a few different things here. And I want to uh, go through that today. We're going to be looking at 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 today the end section of that, 41 through 46. And it's not just a tag on to the end of the message. What it actually is, is a great example of something that we all need to be pursuing after. 
Now, we come to this point because James, uh, as we were looking in the book of James, and James says something very special about Elijah. He says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And again, the reason we choose Elijah is because he was able to see these miraculous things. But as James said, he was just like you and me. There was nothing special about him. If you've, read, if you've read his story, continue to read his story, what you will also see is that Elijah also, though he experienced great things, experienced doubt experienced fear, experienced frustration, experienced the same things that you and I experienced, but yet he trusted God. So what I want us to get out of this particular passage is that prayer, the prayer of a righteous person, is powerful and it is effective. We'll bear this out in James. How can we pray in a powerful and an effective way? I want you to consider those things. How do we pray? in a powerful and an effective way. Well, let's see what Elijah says. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we're looking at uh, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rushing rain. No one has heard rain in three years. No one has seen rain in three years. And Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, it's coming. There's rain coming. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Now, we can pray with power and effectiveness if we pray in alignment with God's will and God's word. I want you to think about this. Elijah goes to pray, and as he goes to pray, he is not praying his own personal prayer. He's praying for the faithfulness of God. God, you said and so since you said, I am coming to you to ask that you would show up, that you would show up now. This is a culminating point, and as all these things have been going on in Elijah's life, this is a very seminal moment that proves that he was a prophet because not only did it stop at his word, but it says that it will return at his word. And so this is extremely important that not only does he have the first part of God's faithfulness, but he is being challenged at this point to trust the other side of God's faithfulness. That he who has begun a good work will see it through until its completion. I remember seasons of my life where I began something. I remember even later on in life, some of you may know this about me, that I, I began the process of my college career later on in life. And as I began that process, it was actually because I felt like the Lord was moving me in a particular direction. The Lord said, go and go to school and study this. And I began to go to school and to study those things. And as I was studying those things, I knew that God was pulling me on a journey. I still wasn't 100% sure where the end goal was, but I knew that God told me to start. And so I started. I knew God told me to continue on, so I continued on. Then I had to wait for the day of his completion. And Elijah is here at this point of completion. But Israel had had not an ounce of rain. I want you to think of it in the same sense. Like, I've been following, I don't know if you've been following, and maybe, you know, um, you're a big climate change person. But the West has been extreme, experiencing some pretty significant droughts. I got a lot of family, a lot of friends uh, that are in Southern California and in Arizona area, and they're experiencing, and, and in Las Vegas, and some, some pretty tense droughts and questions about the future of being able to have clean water there and at what cost. 
And so a weird thing happened this past week, week and a half. There's a hurricane coming up the coast of California. Now, I spent significant time over two decades in California and never, ever heard of a hurricane in California. That is more of a Florida, more of a Gulf of Mexico, up the eastern coast kind of a situation. But when it comes to California, mm -mm. I'm not used to that. But I think about how many times I was praying, Lord, as I'm seeing Lake Mead over in Nevada start to dip down and you see these brown mountains turn into these white cliffs where water used to be. So much water gone, the question became, is this, is this reversible? Are we going to, in a few years, have an empty dam? There are whole lakes that had completely dried out. And now there's a hurricane coming. And initially, I'm sitting there saying, saying to myself, man, everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. And then as I'm preparing for this message, I was like, Lord, maybe you're sending rain. Maybe you're doing what we don't expect to send the rain to bring salvation to a people who have prayed and who have called out to you. Maybe not everybody, but there are people who are praying for that. And I had to rethink what it meant to see a hurricane in California. Whether I was looking through it with natural eyes or whether I was able to look at it like the Lord is the Lord of all things. So even in the tough things, even in the times where you've experienced drought, even in the times where you've experienced pain and God sent relief through a way that you weren't expecting, it was an answered prayer. First time I had ever experienced something like this was after I had been youth pastor at our previous church for about four years, I came across an old sheet. It was mimeographed. That's how old it was. Most of y'all don't even know what mimeograph is. It was this old machine that had a big roller on it and you put ink on it and you had to roll it through like that and that's how church bulletins and things like that got printed from years past. <laughs> Never heard that, Lord. But I found a mimeograph sheet of our youth ministry's prayer requests from the early 90s. And the prayer requests from the early 90s were manifesting themselves in the mid to late 2000s. And it was a reminder to me that though they were praying for it back then, they didn't get a chance to see it. But it came to fruition in God's timing. God prepared the right people to be able to be there at the right place for these particular moments. Now, you may have been praying for 25 years, you may have been praying for 10 years, you may have been praying for a week. God will show up. And as we look through uh, the life of Elijah, we'll begin to see that. So what would you do if you were confident in something God had told you would happen? Would you just go ahead and walk? Elijah already knows that God said many times that he was going to return the rain. So did he just live the rest of his life that way or did he do something more particular? Well, he did something very particular and he went to go pray. He went up into the mountain, he went to, to pray before God, and he did it in a very humble way. He bowed himself low, and he put his face towards the dirt. Anybody ever put your face in the dirt intentionally? Anybody ever intentionally humbled yourself? I mean, think about what Elijah is coming off of. Elijah is coming off of the, the, the biggest group of people seeing him lead in a miracle moment. 
where God showed up in a miraculous way and God goes from that high moment and he goes into this low, humble moment. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I know my heart. That if I was Elijah in that moment, the level of pride that would have been inside of me would have been high. I am God's man. Did you not see me pray to God and then fire came down from heaven and it consumed all of these things? Man, God's anointing is on me. That's what I would have expected from me. Oh, oh, uh, let's see, uh, is there a, a servant or a, a, a younger minister who could come and pray before the Lord, bow before the Lord so that God would hear our prayer? No, Elijah comes from this moment and he bows himself low. Not just bowing himself low because sometimes we can bow like this. We can get down on one knee. And we can pray, and Lord, I'm humbling myself before you, and I'm down on one knee. And then sometimes we can get down on two knees in kind of more of a begging position, and we're asking God. But Elijah took himself even further. He says he tucked his face. It tucked his face between his knees. There was a humility in this moment that we don't see even amongst ourselves. Elijah knows God's promises and prays in alignment with those promises. But he begins to lift up prayers in a way that he expects them to happen. He's praying in a way that is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what we're supposed to be doing is praying. How come Elijah's not, oh, I already knocked out the, the prophets of Baal, line up the next set of prophets. Come on, let's go. No, he goes back and humbly prays before the Lord because prayer is an essential portion, essential portion of the Christian life. And I would even venture to say that prayer is an essential portion of the human life. And the reason why I would say that is because those who are even non-Christians, one of the things that they pursue is they pursue some form of spirituality because going to a higher power is natural for us. But that's how Israel found themselves worshiping Baal. Because they were going to a higher power, but they went to the wrong one. They did not go to the living God. And so it's important to find yourself going to the living God and humbling yourself so that you might be able to pray more effectively. And how do we do that? I want you guys to just look at James real quick. Um, I'm going to read it for you. James chapter 5, where we get our, our, our leading scripture about Elijah. And it says, James, in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him go, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So James is recalling this moment that we've been in a study in to encourage us. Is there anybody who is sick? 
Is there anybody who's discouraged? Is there anybody who is in sin? What's the solution for all of these different things? Prayer. James is telling us that it doesn't matter what the situation that you may find yourself in, the first solution, the last solution, the only solution is prayer. Now that may be completely unsatisfying to you. You may have a mind like mine that says, okay, I don't mind praying, but I need to do something too. I need to walk around the wall seven times. I need to get a shofar and blow the trumpet. I need to do something. But what we see in Elijah is just go to God in prayer. Just actively submit your life to being a life of prayer. And what does that look like to to have a life of prayer? One of the things that you should be doing, you as a believer, you should have a commitment to prayer time within your day. That's what you should do. It's not like a, oh man, you know, I'm aspiring to one day be a person who has a committed time of prayer. I want you to think of it. Like one of the things I love about fasting is that when you fast, it has a physical consequence to the fast. And it begins to remind you of something. Oh, I'm hungry. Your body needs something. Your body is struggling for the lack of something. And as your body is struggling for the lack of something, it should remind you to go to the Lord in prayer. You feel those hunger pangs, and it says, Lord, would you supply my need? I have a refrigerator full of food, and I can go in there and supply my need, supply my body with food. But I also know that you, as the living God, you can supply that need and, and, and remove these hunger pangs. And at bare minimum, what it reminds you is that the Lord is your supply, not the refrigerator. Meyer and Walmart are not the supplier. A prayer and fasting reminds us to consistently go to the Lord. Every morning, should you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for this day? Should you go to the Lord in prayer? Absolutely. Do you know what your day holds? I don't know. I think about the story that Axel just told in regards to his car accident. Did he know that day that there would be a car accident? Do you know the days of the struggle? Do you know what each day holds? I would venture to say, like me, no, you don't know. And so how do we begin our day? We begin our day with prayer or set aside a time. A church that I had been a part of, we sent out a text at 9.30 a.m. There was 9.30 a.m. prayer every single day. Didn't matter where you were, if you were in the church building, you got together, we prayed at 9.30. If you weren't in the church building, you received a text message that said, here are some prayer directives, 9.30 a.m., let's pray. A commitment to a consistent time of prayer. Second, pray through the Psalms. The Psalms is a beautiful piece of of, uh, prayer literature. And it allows us to see into the hearts and the minds of David and and, and, uh, Solomon and allows us to understand how we can go to the Lord in prayer. If you don't know how to pray, you say to yourself, just like the disciples did, God, I don't know how to pray, teach me to pray. Go to the Psalms and begin to work through those things. You struggling, go through uh, Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. This is the prayer. That God, could you be with me as you were with David? Would you allow me to sit beside green pastures? Lord, lead me to a place where there are green pastures that I might not be able to always be in a constant conflictual moment. 
but I can have peace. Lord, lead me to that. Teach me in those moments. Prepare me for the times where war will come. This is what the Psalms brings to us. So I would encourage you to just, if you don't know where else to start, to start off in the Psalms. But there are many other places that you could go to to actually learn how to pray the things of the Lord, the promises of God. You can go through Matthew chapter 5 through verses 7 when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is talking about what's blessed, who is blessed, how to think, how to live, start to pray those things. Because if those things were important enough for Jesus to be able to teach, they should be important enough, enough for us to be able to pray through. So I encourage you to be able to do those things. And third, keep looking for God's promises through his word. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's extremely important for us to understand that it is our desire, as we go, into the Lord, go to the Lord in prayer, our desire is not for our will to be done. My hope when you came in here today, it was not with the things that are on your mind. Lord, show up and answer these questions today. Lord, this is what I want from you today. This is what I need from you today. But when you come into this place, it's, Lord, I am here. Whatever you have for me is what I desire. Lord, change my heart so that I might desire the things that you want more than the things that I want. Your will, not my will, be done. The prayer that we pray is that we are going to God and asking for his will in our lives, not our will in his power. But one of the other things that we see in this is that we need to persist in prayer. We persist in prayer on God's promises. Verses 43 and 44 read like this. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. Now, what's interesting here is that most of us, as we pray, well, I already prayed about that. Well, I already prayed for this. And so it's not a lack of faith to go to the Lord earnestly and pray. I have a friend who's been in the hospital for the last couple of weeks. For most of that time, he was in a coma. And every single day, I'm praying, God, not yet. God, heal him. God, heal him. God, raise him up. God, restore him to the promise that you gave him. God, restore him to the call that you gave him. Every single day, multiple times a day, going to the Lord. And I was like, God, I, I, I'm starting to feel, honestly, like maybe I should just stop. Maybe I should just stop praying. And then I got a call that he woke up, that he came out of the coma, that he was being restored. God is faithful. And I don't think it's necessarily because of my prayer or because of my fervency, it's because of God's goodness. But one of the things, when I first walked over to him, when I first saw him in his condition, and I'm, I'm sitting there, the word that came to me was, not yet. It's not over. And that's what I prayed over him, is it's not over. And I still believe that in this moment. It's not over. But what about you? Where has God led you in a moment to pray earnestly? Have you prayed over your marriage consistently? 
Have you gone back to the well, gone back to the Lord over and over and over again? God, would you move in this marriage? God, would you move in this relationship? God, would you make me a person who forgives? Would you make me a person who doesn't hold grudges? God, would you work on me? I can't tell you how many times I prayed, started off praying for my wife or praying for my kids and in the end begging the Lord to do a changing work in me. When we pray, it allows us to be able to see things in his picture, in his picture, in his timing, in his view. It puts him as the highest authority in our moments, not us. And what we see consistently is that Elijah kept knowing the right place to go to. All right, you see anything? No, I'm going back to prayer. Elijah didn't say, I already prayed about it. He said, well, I'm going to go back to prayer. And then he finished praying, and he got back up, and he said, you see anything? No. All right, well, I'm going to go back to God, and I'm going to keep praying, because this is where I need to be. This is the important work. The important work is prayer. The important work is honestly not even standing here just to preach the gospel. The thing that we see Jesus doing, he doesn't teach them ever how to preach he teaches them how to pray because that is the most important thing. But what is the thing that the modern Christian does the least of? Earnest prayer. If you can get to the point past worship, if you can get to the point past I'm consistent in my reading, then you can get to the point where you are praying more effectively. Why? Because you are praying in line with God's word. You are praying in line with what it means to be a worshiper of God. What we see Elijah doing is consistently honoring the Lord and humiliating himself. Now that's the other part of it. That as we persist in God's promises, we also see that there is a humiliation in going to God in prayer. Have you ever been out somewhere and had to pray in public? Had to pray around people who weren't Christians. Did that little voice inside the back of you, in the back of your mind say, what do we look like to them? What do we look like to people who, who don't believe as we believe? There are some who will say, I could care less about what, they look, what I look like. And that's fine. But there is a certain level of foolishness to our natural eyes that we look like when we pray. It's, I think about, we were uh, praying for grace. We were praying for, for a meal. And you, generally, you have kids, you tell your kids to do what? All right, fold your hands, put your hands together. Bow your head. And we're all sitting at a table in front of a, a spread of food. Doing like this. For us as Christians, we understand what that means. For those who aren't Christians, they look at it and it's like, hmm, that's a little awkward. What about when you're in a medical situation? I remember sitting in that room praying over my friend and there were physicians who were around and they're just continuing on in their work while me and another gentleman in the room begin to pray. And my hope at the end of that was that our prayer was impactful also to them, that they recognize that our trust and our hope is in the Lord. Now, how much I love and appreciate physicians and medicine at the same time, my love and appreciation for the Lord is so much more. And so I go to him in reference to that. So James says, 
something pretty interesting in regards to prayer. He says, you ask amiss. When you pray, you ask amiss. You ask incorrectly because you seek to consume for yourselves. Not that Elijah was asking amiss in this multiple prayer, but sometimes we find ourselves pursuing God for the wrong reasons. We pursue him in prayer for our own vindication sometimes when we are wronged or for our own glory when our talents are overlooked. Consider again the humility of prayer after mocking the prophets of Baal for praying without an answer. Just a minute ago, Elijah was saying that. Oh, you should pray louder. Maybe he's at the bathroom. Maybe you keep praying so many times. Maybe your God doesn't hear you. Ha, ha, ha. And now Elijah's in this moment where he's praying repetitively. That's a humbling moment. And Elijah persists not because God cannot or doesn't hear him, but because the cause is worth all the time and focus that he could give. What's a better use of his time than going to the Lord in prayer? Do we discount the practice of going to God in prayer? Consider even the, pro the, the posture of Elijah's prayer, face to the dirt. In humble reverence to God, Elijah does not take a superior stance in calling out to his God. We don't, we shouldn't take a superior stance, no matter what God has done in our life, no matter who we are, no matter what our role is, it is always to have a humble position in prayer. And it is always to have a high view of prayer. Go to prayer in every situation. But here's the other part, plan to respond to God's grace. Elijah says something, he gets up right after he sees that there is about a cloud this size in the distance. That's what he says. Oh, it's about the size of a man's hand, the cloud that I see. And Elijah takes that and he runs with it and he goes to Ahab and he begins to share something with Ahab. He says, and in a little while, the heavens, it says, in a little while, the heavens grew black and the clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was with Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, what's interesting is that Ahab, the prophet, preceded the king coming back to his rightful place. After there had been restoration, after there had been a turning of the people's heart, Ahab had this opportunity to really prove that he believed in the prophet of God and that he really believed the word of the Lord. Because there was no evidence that there was about to be rain besides the fact that Elijah said so. And Ahab took that and he began to go to his rightful place. He could have stayed where he was in the wrong place, worshiping the wrong God, seeking after what he had already done, his own good pleasure, but instead he, he heeded the call. He heeded what the word of the Lord said and he began to go to his rightful place. And not only did he begin to go to his rightful place, but it says that the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah, and Elijah preceded him into that place, which was putting everything back in order the way it should have been. Now, what's interesting here also is that Elijah had been wronged. Elijah had been hunted. Elijah had a bounty on his head from Ahab. Now, again, if it had been me or if it had been one of us, we would have looked at Ahab and been like, you know what? I'm not even going to tell him. I'm just going to let him die here. I'm leaving. Rain's coming. He can stay here and die with the rest of them. Now, here's the thing is that, honestly, he would have been well within his right because Ahab had sinned. Ahab had turned against God. And what is the punishment for that sin? They had all known. 
is death. So would God have been justified in letting Ahab die? Absolutely. But God was even more so justified in allowing there to be grace, allowing there to be forgiveness, allowing there to be restoration. And in the process of the move of God, we see Elijah even allowing there to be forgiveness and restoration and grace in his life towards someone who was an enemy. He was an enemy, but he let that go so that the Lord would be honored. Humility in prayer. This is where Ahab's life is at this crossroads. The word of the Lord stood firm. I don't know what you're holding on to today. I don't know what's been holding you back from trusting the Lord more. Trusting him in prayer. Has it been the success of your hands? There are some who have financial success. There are some who have uh, skill-based success. Are those the things that have been holding you back from fully humbling and submitting yourself to the Lord? Well, God, we really haven't had to trust you much. Um, you know, for provision. I haven't had to trust you uh, for the things for our family. I haven't had to really trust you for wisdom. I mean, I've, I've read a lot. I've been to some great schools. I've had some great mentors. And uh, so, Lord, I mean, I mean, I'm not used to trusting and relying on the Lord. Paul didn't need to trust God. Paul had a lot of things. The Apostle Paul, I'm speaking of in the New Testament, he had a lot of things. He was a leader. He was well-learned. He was well-spoken of. He was able to convince uh, the, the leaders uh, within the, the, the Jewish synagogue to give him the right to go and arrest all the Christians. He had influence, but yet he still found himself bowed before the Lord. He still found himself saying that I have decided to know nothing except the gospel. I've decided to not hold on to anything except seeking the Lord's face. Is that us today? I hope that's us. I hope that we are a people who trust in prayer more because that's where things will change. Do you want to see lives change in this world? How often are you going to pray about it? How often are you going to go to the Lord for it? I mean, when those things touch home, when there's somebody who's laid up in the hospital that you love, those things touch home and it reminds you constantly, 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 very much so like the fasting, those hunger pains. When it touches your body, you begin to feel things a little bit differently. I know we're not, a, maybe you don't know anybody out in California, but have you prayed for them? Have you prayed that they wouldn't lose life in the hurricane? Have you prayed for those who are in Hawaii who lost everything? Have you prayed for those who sat in the, in the heat and have no place to go here in Detroit? Have you prayed fervently for your brother or your sister who doesn't know the Lord? Have you prayed fervently for those whom you know have experienced loss? Have you prayed fervently have you decided that, you know what, I'm not going to do the thing that is most exciting to me today, but I'm going to commit that time towards prayer? Now, this is not an easy thing to say, because I know all of the realities of having children and having other uh, things that come into your life and commitments and responsibilities that you have, but I'm going to ask you to elevate today. Elevate today the position of prayer in your life that you would see God do great works, not just in you, but around you.